which is on Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And that can be found in your bulletin. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to go ahead and read that for you. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The word of the Lord. Well, it's been a season of firsts for me. I don't know if you remember last week, I, I took a flying lesson. Remember that? I didn't take a flying leap. I took a flying lesson and had a great time. Well, this past weekend, I went surfing for the first time. Me and my kids, uh, you know, uh, we got one of these Groupons, you know, where you can get a surfing lesson for half off, blah, 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 blah. So we went out. I've lived in Virginia Beach for 10, 11 years, never gone surfing. And so we went out to Croatan, and this guy, he showed us how to surf, and we just had an absolute fantastic time. The only downside is every single part of my body right now is in pain. So I'm going to preach the sermon very rigidly uh, to you. Now, you know, the neat thing about that was when that uh, Groupon came on, my wife asked me, do you want to do this? I had to make a decision. And I'm thankful that I made the decision, yes, because I got to enjoy the fruits of that. The truth of the matter is decisions have consequences, don't they? Intentions don't have consequences. Decisions have consequences. And life is a series of decisions that give us consequences, many of which we didn't originally envision when we made the decision. How many of us have possibly gone and we've seen a home we wanted to buy and it was a fixer-upper and we said, I think we can fix up that home. Let's go ahead and buy it. It won't be too hard. And you spend the next five years of your life trying to fix that home up, living with the decision, the consequence that you made. Or how about have you ever gone into business for yourself and you've taken that decision where I'm going to take all of my money and my future and I'm going to invest it and I'm going to watch that business and I'm going to go for it with my life. It's a big decision. And that decision has consequences because decisions determine destinations, not intentions. Now here's another truth. The greater the opportunity, the greater the consequence. So, for instance, you may go tonight to a movie. You know, am I going to choose this movie or this movie? Well, it really doesn't matter. You know, all you have to lose is, oh, I saw the bad movie instead of the good movie. But what about when you make a decision to marry someone? Big, big opportunity. This person may be the one that I want to spend the rest of my life to build a future with. It's a big decision. So the bigger the opportunity, the bigger the consequence. Sometimes not making a decision at all is a decision as well, isn't it? How many of us, something has come along and we needed to make that decision and we didn't, and so the decision was made for us. The greater the opportunity, the greater the consequence. Well, this passage is all about opportunities. 
It's about an opportunity that has come before this church, and it's an opportunity that's come before us. And it's not an average opportunity. It's not even a great opportunity. It's the ultimate opportunity. And since it has the ultimate opportunity, it has the ultimate consequence. This opportunity is how we respond to this one, Jesus Christ. And the writer is saying, since Jesus Christ is the ultimate opportunity, responding to him is the ultimate reward. I want to look at three points here uh, as we dissect this. Number one, I want to look at the opportunity that we face. What is this opportunity that's been put before us? Second, I want to look at the choice we must make. The opportunity we face, the choice we must make. How do we respond to this opportunity? And then finally, I want to look at the consequences we receive. What's the result of the decision we make? So let's go with point one, the opportunity we face. The clue here is in first, uh, verse one, where it says, therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to look at the preceding passage, don't you? And for the last two weeks, we've been talking about who this person Jesus Christ is. And the writer in Hebrews is taking great pains to explain who he is, that he's the Son of God, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's the heir of all things and the one who through creation itself was made. So he's saying that Jesus Christ has a unique place. It's above all other spiritual beings, that he is in a class by himself. And the truth of the matter is that no one has ever been worshipped like Jesus Christ has been worshipped. I saw this quote by Napoleon that struck me very much. He says that you... Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have founded great empires. But upon what did creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day, millions will die for him. And that's true, millions will. Jesus is the most worshipped person in the world. And as such, he's also the most vilified. Which other person do you ever hear someone say when you're holding a hammer and you bang it and they say, oh, oh my gosh, Dalai Lama. They never say that. Oh my gosh, Buddha, who do they say? Jesus Christ. He's the most worshipped person in the world and he's the most vilified. He's either hated or loved. Why? Why different than everybody else? It's because of the message that he brings. And what is this message? Look at it in verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus has come proclaiming salvation. This word salvation, soterios in the Greek, is derived from the word sathos, which means safe. It has two parts to it. Uh, it means being taken from a perilous situation and put into a safe situation. In the time of Jesus, it was primarily used in the Greek in medical senses, that someone would be sick and they would need to be saved. And so the doctor would apply medicine that would take them away from their sickness and restore them to wholeness. The doctor and the medicine were called saviors. Also was in the government realm. 
that whoever was the head of the city or the head of the empire, Caesar, was supposed to be the savior, the one who would protect the city from danger that would come in. But he would also uh, give a place of peace, a place of rest, a place, a place where people could feel shalom, a sense of everything is okay. And Jesus is saying that he has come bringing this salvation, in fact, that he is the author of salvation. And the writer is saying that it is a great salvation. This word great means that it towers over all other salvations. It is the salvation of salvation because it's the salvation from sin. Jesus' name, if you remember when Jesus was born, Gabriel looked to Mary and said, you shall name him Jesus because he will save people from his sins. His name, Jesus, or Yeshua, means to save. This one Jesus is to save us from sin. Now, I don't have to talk to you guys a lot about sin because it's pretty self-evident. If you don't believe in sin, just turn on the news tonight and therefore you will see it. All around the world, the effects of sin, war and pillaging and starvation and oppression and greed, they surround the world. But they're also a part of our hearts too, if we're willing to look at our hearts seriously. Because in our hearts, do we not have greed? In our hearts, do we not have lust? Do we not have anger? If sin is a disease, Everyone in the world is affected by it. And there is a consequence of sin. That consequence is death. How do I know that? Because everybody dies. Everybody dies physically, and everyone ultimately will die spiritually. You know, there's a lot of people that say that this place, hell, doesn't exist. And it can exist because God, if God is love, God would not send anybody to hell. Uh, this, this idea of hell, in fact, is primitive. It's part of the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't part of that. This is a new age. But the truth of the matter is Jesus spoke more about hell and articulated more about hell than anyone else. Because if there is no hell, God is not just. If there is no hell, God is apathetic to evil. The evil that goes on in the world, God doesn't care about it. If there is no hell, God is blind toward the victims that cry out to him for salvation, for, uh, for justice, for what has been done to them. If there is no hell, then God has no wrath toward evil. And God is not love because love hates that which is evil. But God has sent a soterios, a salvation from sin, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus does these two things, that he rescues us from danger, but he puts us in a safe place, the place we were meant to be. Have you ever noticed that the greatest stories of all always finish with, and they lived happily ever after? Where do you think that came from? The longing of our human hearts. We need salvation. And that is the salvation that Jesus is claiming to bring. Life, shalom, peace. And the writer is saying that the opportunity of salvation has come. And not only has it come, it's come with plenty of evidence so that all can see. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
while God himself bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts distributed through the Holy Spirit. You know, it's absolutely amazing that Christianity started in the very place where Jesus was crucified 40 days later. Think about that. Jesus is crucified on a cross to show the might of the Roman Empire, to make an example of all those who follow him and all those who claim to speak out against Caesar. And yet 40 days later, the apostles are proclaiming in the streets that Jesus Christ is Lord and thousands of people are flocking to the church. How is that possible? It was because of the signs and wonders of God, namely that over 500 people had seen the resurrected Christ and Rome had no answer to put down what people had seen. It was attested by wonders, but it was also attested by those who have heard. It's been attested to us, hasn't it? Because we have the Bible, the scriptures that were read, uh, written by the apostles and their disciples. How is it that this book written by uneducated people could be spread so much. You know, the Bible is the most written book, the most sold work in the history of the world. Over six billion copies of the Bible have been printed and distributed. The next closest book is 900 million, the little red book by Mao Zedong. And he required that every Chinese person has the book in their home. The next book down is 100 million, from 100 million to 6 billion. How is that possible? It's because the words were attested by the apostle, and they have very life. They have the words of very life. Well, many of you know the story of this opulent ship in the 1912s. The ship that was built that was the most opulent and beautiful ship of all. At 882 feet, and 52,000 tons, it was the pinnacle of naval engineering. It was so technologically sound and marvelous that the press declared it unsinkable. I'm referring, referring, of course, to the Titanic. And they were so convinced that this Titanic was unsinkable that when they were outfitting it, they only put 16 lifeboats on the Titanic that would outfit 1,178 people while the Titanic could hold 3,500 people. And so on that faithful voyage from Southampton to New York, April 10, 1912, they set off. No one thinking that there ever was going to be a problem, enjoying the opulence of the Titanic. But on April 14th, on a night where there was no moon and the water was at 31 degrees, trouble struck. All that day, they'd received two other communications from other boats that had warned them that there are icebergs all around. But they were never passed up to the captain because they were considered frivolous. And at 11.40, they struck an iceberg which gouged a side of the boat, 299 feet, flooding six compartments. The Titanic, the unsinkable, could stay afloat if only four were punctured. But with six, it went down, causing the worst maritime disaster in the history of the world. Out of the 2,223 passengers on the Titanic, 1,517 of them perished. If the people had known, they would have changed course, wouldn't they? They would have swerved around that iceberg. 
the reality is, my friends, is that mankind has an iceberg that we're heading toward. And like all most dangerous icebergs, the danger lies below the surface. It plagues us. It affects our relationships between each other, with ourselves, with God, and it has a 100% death rate. But the opportunity has come to us. It's the greatest opportunity because it was brought by God, and it's the greatest opportunity because it deals with the ultimate problem. But it's an unavoidable opportunity. You see, you can't be neutral about this one, Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, do you recognize the opportunity? You know, you can miss out on a lot of opportunities and be okay. You can go to the wrong college and be okay. You can choose the wrong uh, occupation and you can be okay. But you must pay closer attention to what has been done or you may miss it. Maybe you're in the crowd right now, but you know this person, Jesus, is important, but you've decided, I'm going to place this opportunity on hold because there's so many other great opportunities that are out there. Sooner or later, I'll get to it. But will you ever? Don't opportunities continue to come up again and again, pushing that back? We must never let the urgent get in the way of the important. Because if Jesus Christ is the ultimate opportunity, responding to him is the ultimate reward. So what we must do is make a decision to make Christ the highest priority, to examine his claims, to look deeply into who he is. Because if he's the ultimate opportunity, we must make examining him the ultimate priority. It can't just be kind of important because the biggest decisions have the biggest consequences. Well, we've talked about the opportunity and the reward that might come with it. I want to talk about how we respond to the ultimate opportunity. As I look in this passage, I see three ways that you can respond to this opportunity. Number one, you can say no. I don't believe in this whole thing. Don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the iceberg. I don't believe there's a problem at all and I'm going to go about my merry way. Or you can say yes to Jesus. You can be wholehearted in your commitment to him. You're all in with Jesus and he is your, uh, you're just wholehearted with him. But there's a third way that I think this writer in Hebrews is addressing that you can say yes, but half-heartedly. Kind of like one foot in the boat, that lifeboat, and one foot on the ship. See, that's what's going on with this church right now that the writer is writing to. They've been suffering for their faith. They've experienced the consequences of living for Jesus. And they're looking around and they're wondering, is this worth it? Maybe I should start looking around. Maybe there's some other options that aren't as challenging. And this letter is a wake-up call from the bridge. See, this passage teaches us the important truth that we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. This word, much closer, in the Greek means very great, excessive, surpassing. It's actually, if we were going to use it in English, we would use the word obsession. You must obsess on what you have heard. Now, all of us are familiar with obsession, aren't we? Because at one time or another, we've become obsessed about something, whether it was a, a car or a stereo or a person. Something interesting happens with obsession. 
that when you fixate with your mind on it, everything else seems to kind of fade away, doesn't it? Nothing else is as important because all of your focus and your attention is on that thing. That's what the writer is saying, that we must obsess on this because the only way to accept Jesus is obsessively. The writer is saying there's only one way to go, and it's toward Christ, because if it's not, you're drifting away. Well, you might say, wait a second, wait a second. Moderation in all things. We must be moderate about it. This is way over the top. But was this not the message of Jesus himself? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, compared to me, he cannot be my disciple. And everyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You know, when we think about it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Because don't the greatest opportunities demand the greatest commitments? You decide to become married. Tremendous opportunity. But doesn't it demand tremendous commitment? Because the storms will come and the challenges the greatest opportunity demands the greatest commitment. When you make, uh, do that business, when you make those high decisions, they demand the greatest commitment. And since Jesus is the ultimate opportunity, he demands the ultimate commitment. There's a, uh, a thought in the stock market, and uh, it's all about how do we accumulate wealth in the stock market. Well, if you go to a financial planner, he'll say you need to diversify your investments. Diversify your investments, stocks, bonds, equities, a variety of investments. That's the best way to make money. The reality is that's not the best way to make money. It's the best way to defray risk while making money. The best way to make money is to put all of your money on one thing and go for broke. It's either all lose or it's all in. It was Andrew Carnegie, the great steel magnet, the richest man in the world in the 1900s, that when asked this question about accumulating wealth said, concentrate your energies, your thoughts, and your capital. The wise man puts all of his eggs in one basket and watches that basket. See, there are consequences to what we believe. And the writer is saying that you must obsess on what you've heard lest you drift away from it. This word drift is a nautical term. It literally means becoming unmoored from the anchor that's on the seafloor and drifting away from a solid purchase. See, something else got into the Hebrews' minds. These people and the persecution, the attraction, we don't know, but they're in danger of drifting away in a place that they don't want to be. I don't know if you saw the uh, newspaper on Wednesday, Virginian Pilot, they had a great story about New Zealand. And something happened in New Zealand that hasn't happened in 44 years. An emperor penguin was on the shore of New Zealand, which is a huge problem. They haven't spotted one for 44 years because penguins, to show up in New Zealand, need to be 2,000 miles off course. They should be in Antarctica shouldn't be in New Zealand. They're not sure what happened to this penguin. Somehow, while it was eating along the migratory route, it got separated from the other penguins, and then somehow it lost its internal navigation system. 
and it thought it was swimming south, but it was actually swimming east, and it ended up 2,000 miles later on the shores of New Zealand. Now, the New Zealanders, they were having fun with this emperor penguin. They nicknamed him Happy Feet. And they were showing him, and, you know, penguins are so cute, and they were having a great time with this penguin. You know, what are we going to do with this penguin? But things turned south very quickly because the penguin started eating sand. Why? Because when they're in Antarctica, they can't get water, and so fresh water. And so the way they get fresh water is by eating snow. The penguin wasn't sure what was going on, but he thought he was in Antarctica, so he started eating sand. And as a result, the penguin is right now in very dangerous condition. It's had two operations on it, and its chance of survival is about 50%. We must pay careful attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The truth of the matter is no one intends to drift. It just happens. See, there's three people in this story. They're the people that said no. They're the people that have said yes and are obsessing on the salvation they've heard. And then there's the rest of us. The rest of us that are constantly being assailed by other messages. Maybe in your life right now, it's not quite going how you thought it was going to go. You're in danger of losing your job. Things are difficult in the workplace. Your relationship with your girlfriend is strained. Life is hard and it's difficult. And you're asking the question, maybe I should diversify. Maybe I should spread the wealth a little bit. Hedge my bets. That might be the best way to go. The truth of the matter is if you think that way, you're drifting. Here are clues that you're drifting. That your life doesn't have any intimacy with God, that you don't pray anymore, you don't read the word, really your Christianity is showing up here because you live two lives. There's the life that you live for an hour and a half here and then there's the life you live as you go out, two faces that you have. You don't fellowship with other believers at all. You're not really interested in doing so. You're constantly looking around looking for places to shift your identity to friends and spouses, other things. You can't even remember the last time that you took a step of faith. And your Christianity tastes a lot more like sand than snow. What the writer is saying and what I'm saying to you is to fixate on Jesus, to obsess on him, to put all of your eggs in one basket. Here's how you do that. Number one, reprioritize your priorities. Make a decision. Jesus goes to the top of the list, and then there's everything else. You may have to replace some things in your life in order to reprioritize. Also, remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember what he's done in your life. And make a decision to renew your relationship with Christ. Seek him, not only here, but throughout the week, in his word and in prayer and with other people. Put yourself in a place where God can get to you because if you don't, sooner or later, you will drift away. Since Jesus Christ is the ultimate opportunity, responding to him is the ultimate reward. Well, I want to finish with my last point, the consequences of our choice. 
If the opportunity gives a reward and the reward demands a commitment, the commitment has a consequence. Every opportunity has consequences. Jesus has come bringing salvation. But there's a warning label in this passage, isn't there? Look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This passage is alluding to the past in which God gave the law to the Israelites mediated by angels through Moses. And he gave them the law and expected them to obey them. And if they didn't, there were consequences, a just retribution. Remember that story where um, Aaron's sons, the priests, go into the temple to offer incense, but they're offering the wrong kind of incense, and God's holiness, his wrath, breaks out and immediately consumes them. As we go a little further, we see that it looks like there was some sort of drinking involved, that they were drunk, and they weren't paying attention to what they were supposed to do. If every message has consequences in the Old Testament, how much so, so more in the New Testament? The truth of the matter as I read this, it scares me. Because in reality, we do neglect, don't we? We take lightly the promises of God. We ignore what he has done. We chase after other things. Christ has given us a great gift and we treat it so poorly. How shall we escape? The only way that we can escape is because there was one who didn't. See, Jesus was not in neglect of God's commands. He was faithful to God. Jesus was sent on a course by the Father straight into the iceberg of sin, and he didn't veer away because God knew that we were going to swerve and so Jesus went before us. He was the icebreaker. He would be broken so that we would be made whole. He is the one who was captured so that we could escape. It's ironic that by Jesus not neglecting salvation, he was condemned. And by us neglecting salvation, managed to escape. Because it's Christ is the one who went off course, leaving heaven, traveling an infinite distance to a strange and hostile territory eating sand so we could eat snow. Jesus not only gives us salvation, he keeps us in it. He will never leave us or forsake us. So we must trust in Christ, looking to him as the author and perfecter of our salvation. The passage is saying you're not going to make it but Jesus will give you the strength to persevere. He won't let us sink. If you trust in Christ, you will make it to your destination. Well, I conclude with this. The greatest opportunities have the greatest consequences. The greatest opportunities demand the greatest commitments. We must obsess on something. And so, obsess on Jesus Christ. He is the only one worth our worship. Since Christ is the ultimate opportunity, responding to him is the ultimate reward. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we were, though we were on a crash course with death, 
the iceberg of sin, that you stepped in. Lord, that you were crushed, that you were sank, that you did not escape, that we might have life in you. We thank you, Lord, that though we were lost, you were the one that came and found us and will lead us home. So, Lord, strengthen us. Help us to fix our eyes on you, not on other things. Help us not to diversify our options, but to put all our eggs in one basket, the basket of you, that we may know this heaven, this safe place, a taste of it on earth, fulfilled at the end of time. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now we have.